Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to episode 86 of the Cloudcast. Tonight, we're coming to you live from our massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. No, not the ones above the bar, but but soon. Um, we're continuing uh, our very recent theme, and that is uh, Platform as a Service. Uh, we've received a lot of feedback from our listeners about uh, interest in Platform as a Service and, and DevOps as a journey. So, wanted to introduce tonight, first of all, we have... Bart Copeland. Bart, you are the CEO, correct, of ActiveState? I am. Thank you, Aaron. I am indeed. Cool. And also, John, and John, I apologize. I forgot to ask you to pronounce your last name for me before we joined. <laughs> sure, I'll uh, pronounce it for you. It's John Weatheriel. Very cool. And you are developer evangelist, correct, for ActiveState? Yes, exactly. All right. Awesome. Awesome. So, so Bart, I wanted to, first of all, this is very intriguing to me. Um, Active State as a company, we, you know, we tend to talk to a lot of startups uh, on this um, uh, podcast, but you're like a hundred years old in dog years. <laughs> I mean, tell us a little bit about your company and the age, and and a little bit about the products. Yeah, well, it's a good point. By by startup uh, perspective, uh, startup terms, we are a hundred years old, but I can assure you, we are. A lean, mean operation, and we are very much like a startup. But we go back uh, as a company back to 1997. That's when Active State was for, first formed, and the company built a bunch of products uh, based on open source. And then there was one product that really took off. It was an anti-spam product because, as we all know, a spam was a real problem in the late 90s, and enterprises didn't know what to do with spam. And Active State came up with this really good product called Pure Message, and it became a hit with the enterprise. And Sophos acquired Active State in 2003. And the Pure Message product line after that acquisition has grown in excess to a $160 million a year business for Sophos. But there was a bunch of other products within um, Active State that were still great products and became orphaned within Sophos. So in 2006, I um, got a call from the CEO of Sophos, and the only reason he called me is I was a prior investor in Active State. I wasn't operationally involved, but he called me and said, Bart, you want to help me take off these uh, orphaned employees and orphaned assets because they're great people, great products, but they just don't fit from Sophos. And I said, absolutely. So we spun off those orphaned employees and um, orphaned assets. We took the Active State brand back. And we started growing Active State again in in 2006, and but we had one mission in mind, and that was to do something great again, based on our core competency. And uh, and I'm going to come to where how that fits into PaaS in a minute. But we started building our business uh, in 2006, leveraging our products, and we do three things extremely well, or we like to think we do three things extremely well. One is we understand open source. Two, we understand developers. And when we speak of a developer, we're talking about an IT DevOps person all the way up to a developer who's someone who cuts code. So a developer to us covers that full spectrum. So that's the second thing we do really well is we understand developers. And the third thing we understand really well or do well is the enterprise. And it's the intersection of those three things, open source, developers, and the enterprise is how we build 
our company and make money. And we've chosen to do it a little bit differently as we are actually we've grown our business organically since 2006. So we've reinvested every dollar that we make into growing the business. We've grown the business significantly. Uh, we're profitable. And we have on average, uh, actually, I think last year we sold to 3000 enterprise customers globally. And where, where this comes into pass is what happened was in about I guess it was late, mid-2010, we were absolutely intrigued by Platform as a Service. It was just starting to appear. and But at that time, Platform as a Service was this thing that we called public Platform as a Service. It was behind, it was outside the firewall, meaning it was Heroku, it was Engine Yard, it was Google App Engine. These were companies that were running platforms as a Services on on either in the case of Google App Engine, their own cloud, in the case of NGYard, it was running on AWS or Amazon Web Services. <clears throat> so we said, this is really cool. We, we're application guys. We understand the whole application deployment lifecycle. But we saw uh, an opportunity in our mind. And we said, enterprises, because we understand enterprises and developers with the enterprise are going to want the benefits of PaaS, but they're going to want it behind the firewall. They're going to want to be able to control it and do it in a way that makes sense for them as an organization. And and we'll probably talk about this in a more in detail, Aaron, but the result was we started building a solution today, which is called Staccato. But when we first started building it, um, we were building it from scratch, but then Cloud Foundry came out in um, early 2011. We said, wow, this is great. This Cloud Foundry project is exactly what we're envisioning for platform as a service. More importantly, it's open source. As a company, we understand open source, so we pivoted and we started building Staccato based on top of Cloud Foundry. So today as a company, we have a great existing business, and now we've added a new product line, and that's called Staccato. It's our enterprise private PaaS, and it's a great um, addition to our business. But although we're not a startup in the truest sense, um, we we understand enterprises. We are we do think like a startup, and we move very quickly, and that's evident in our in our release cycle with Staccato. We're currently at I think release two point ten, so we we've had numerous releases. I can't I've lost count since we went to GA of the product back in February of last year. So that's kind of just a quick summary of the the history of Active State and. I still get a chuckle, Aaron, when you call us, a, we're 100 years old uh, by startup standards. I like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, so John, tell me a little bit about, you know, in your role, you, you certainly talk to a lot of developers. And what are some kind of big trends that you're seeing at that, that kind of like you were saying, Bart, that intersection of developers and enterprise? What are some of the trends you're seeing these days? Yeah, so the big trends that I've, we've been seeing is uh, the obvious ones like <clears throat> uh, big data is getting huge and the ability for developers to access and manage and control and, and basically ac- uh, analyze that data. Very important trend, obviously. And um, related to that also is the mobile, the whole mobile field, which generates a huge amount of data um, and just opens up the ability for, for massive amounts of users to access applications these days. Um, other trends that are that are really coming forward these days. Um, it seems like there's a convergence of software best practices happening. So in the past, there's all these siloed, you know, language communities. 
they were all doing their own thing. They all established their own practices and, and they seem to be converging. So the conferences that I'm attending, I will meet just as many Java developers as JavaScript developers, as Ruby developers, etc. So um, there's, there's a large movement towards kind of this polyglot world that we're in. And um, a couple more too. Um, just agility of development is extremely important. And for years, it's been, we've just been mired in, in just ancient development practices. I guess ancient by your dog years standard, but <laughs> it still is uh, ancient. So, you know, development teams are, are just hindered and, and crippled, really, by, by the technologies they have to work with and the processes to get things running. Um, and it's, it's just not working anymore. So this ability to just be really agile, really quick, rapid development, without dealing with a lot of the, the plumbing and the, the underlying stuff that really a development team shouldn't be worrying about. Um, they're specializing in building, building killer applications. They shouldn't be fiddling around with the plumbing. Um, it's not really the, their differentiator. Yeah, sure. And that you mentioned agility, and I just wanted to kind of uh, briefly kind of bring back around to a conversation uh, that we actually had before we hit the record button. Um, so, so, Bart and I kind of came from a we, – we found out we came from a similar uh, background in kind of operations, uh, primarily around factories. Um, and we, we both kind of made the conclusion in reading Gene Kim's um, The Phoenix Project book and, and really the kind of the evolution of DevOps in kind of a fictional enterprise organization there. And and it was just interesting for, for, for Bart and I to have a lot of the same light bulbs go off. And I actually wrote a blog post and referred it back to your blog post, and which referred it back to – you know Gene's book, so we've got this whole inception thing going on, all, yeah. all based off of factories. But, but Bart, if you don't mind, just real quickly, tell 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 everyone a little bit about kind of what we were talking about there. Yeah, I mean, uh, Gene's Kim's book is about the whole aspect of looking at IT like it's a manufacturing process. And if you really think about it today, what IT does, it connects all the critical parts of a business together, so it works really well. And, and, and symbolically, that's no different than running a manufacturing plant extremely well. And what was so compelling to me reading the Phoenix Project, it was is Gene, uh, Gene and the co-authors talk about this way of looking at IT. And this is exactly how when I started my career over 25 years ago, I started as a manufacturing engineer uh, responsible for building digital switches for um, telcos. And my job was to make the manufacturing process work extremely well, eliminate any bottlenecks, eliminate um, inventory, eliminate work in process. And this is exactly the same methodology that the Phoenix Project is talking about. And it's inspired on a book by Eli Eli Goldrath called The Goal and the Theory of Constraints. And uh, I highly recommend to anybody listening to this podcast to really read The Phoenix Project. It is a great read. And it's so applicable to modern day IT today and how you basically build uh, efficiency and workflow into uh, the IT process to to eliminate these bottlenecks that so many enterprises are experiencing uh, with IT today. And and John, so let me ask you this then, based off of what we had just, just talked about. 
is this something you're actually seeing in a lot of enterprises today, or is this more of like this is an ideal goal? What, like, if you had to give you know the enterprise, you know, most enterprise customers, your typical enterprise customer, a score, right? Or, you know, A to F, right? What, where where do most enterprises fall in this kind of DevOps journey? And 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 also, kind of, I guess, it's a follow-on question: How could PaaS enhance this or, or help them? Most of the enterprises that I've worked with and I've worked at um, over the years are definitely verging up on the, the D to F kind of brain. <laughs> That's, I didn't want to say it. I was going to let you say well, it. <laughs> it's actually a good thing in a way. It's a great opportunity. It's just a, an area that just needs to be addressed, and it is being addressed now. Um, but, yeah, clearly, I mean, the last company I was at uh, not too long ago, just over a year ago, um, it would take easily two weeks for a developer's request to spin up a database to be to be fulfilled. You know, you submit a ticket and basically just wait, and eventually you'll get your database instance spun up. And that's just not going to work these days. And, um, and I, it's, it's scary, but it's a very common situation on all, a lot of the people I talk to. There are some leading-edge, innovative companies that are moving past that, and obviously that trend is going to con- continue greatly. Sure. And yeah, and j- go ahead, Bart. Sorry. Oh, yeah, I just wanted to add, uh, Aaron, to John's comment is that uh, John is dealing with the developers and the DevOps IT folks. So in my role, I spend a lot of time with the CTOs, CIOs, and we hear the similar message is that in order to do development and provisioning deployment, it takes weeks or months in these organizations and they need to figure out a better way to do it because this is way too long. You know, the the manufacturing life cycle, so to speak, you know, stealing from the, the Phoenix project is much too long. It needs to be short, shortened. The cycle time has to be shortened. And that's where PaaS potentially comes in as a part of this a part of the solution sure so sure. If, I can, if i can interject here too um i had an epiphany last year after working at all these various companies where it would take all this time to provision a system to get it ready to develop on and then i installed uh, uh, staccato and i uh, was able to do it in literally minutes and it just it almost shocked me and it was after that that i decided i needed to join this company and work with this product because it is so powerful Sure. And and what are some of the, you know, if you're taking uh, a struggling enterprise, if I use that term, right, what are some of the the entry level use cases or that low hanging fruit um, that that you typically will help them address first? So uh, immediately off the top, um, most enterprise projects involve multiple programming languages. And, uh, you know, to some extent, usually they're focused on one language. Uh, let's say Java or something, but but then there are small pieces that are that make much more sense to work on in another language, like Ruby for test orchestration is a good example. And obviously, most apps these days have JavaScript components, um, just for no reason than it's required in the browser. But it's that's spreading as well. So so it's the first low hanging fruit is the ability to deploy an app using pretty much any enterprise language, also frameworks, any of the runtimes, um, deploy them immediately. Sure, sure. And now let, let me ask you guys this. One one um, maybe knock that I've heard once upon a time, and I don't know if it's specific to yours or if it's maybe honestly more uh, excuse me, applied to, say, a public PaaS, is um, the, the concept of almost locking you into that framework. Um, tell me a little bit, uh, is that a valid concern, and, and why or why not? So... Uh- it is a valid concern. You're right. So when you talk about public paths, 
that is a valid concern. And that's one of the things that we knew our customers uh, and prospective customers would be very concerned about. So when we talk about staccato, but I also apply this to private paths in general, is that our, our mindset or mantra is any language, any stack, any cloud. So what you do is you have a common platform. It's based on open source, this common PaaS platform, and you can work with any language you want. So you don't have language lock-in. The next thing is you can work with any stack you want. You can choose the framework, the databases, the messaging services, the web servers that you care about. And you can work with any cloud. So you can work on your own vSphere private cloud, or you can maybe work on an open stack cloud or a cloud stack cloud. Um, doesn't matter to us. And then you may, so you, most likely what we see today is that people start with their vSphere cloud because predominantly that's what you see. And then they want to experiment with OpenStack. So they have that complete freedom to move. And then the, and then they want to experiment and maybe burst out to public cloud, maybe Amazon or HP cloud services or Rackspace. So with a PaaS layer, you avoid that lock-in. You don't have any lock-in in any of the dimensions I just discussed. Now, you could argue that, wait a minute, what about the PaaS layer? Aren't you locked into the PaaS layer? Um, your PaaS layer, and John can expand on this, is a, is a means for managing and deploying your applications. You, you abstract your applications from the infrastructure, so you can move your application and use a different private PaaS if you want. Um, uh, and the other thing is, it's because uh, we're based on open source, you also have the freedom that you know that uh, the PaaS layer is based on an open source project. I don't know, John, if you want to add anything to that. Yeah, I would like to. Um, so uh, well, I've, I have a, ba a Java background, and I've been spending a lot of time deploying Java apps to Staccato, and I find that almost all of them work straight out of the box with very little, if any, modification. So the point is, there's very little glue required to get an application running in Staccato. Um, as I say, most of the time, you just take an existing Java application and, and push it to the PaaS, and it just works first time. Um, so as a result, it would also be, be easily portable to other platform as a service offerings as well gotcha and, gotcha and, gotcha okay and aaron, yeah, aaron just to close the question is that i think where the knock has been on is more on public platform as a service where you have certain platform as a services where you only can work on one specific cloud a couple of languages maybe certain databases and there is a more of a lock-in and if you want to work outside of that you can't uh, that doesn't mean you can, it doesn't prevent you from moving your application but you don't have as much freedom as if, uh, and that was the whole mindset behind coming up with our offering around private paths. Ah, gotcha. Okay. So, and, and let me ask you this. This is a, a kind of a theory I've had, um, but I, I haven't had experts uh, like y'all to really run this by. So I'm going to run something by you here. And, and this wasn't in the show notes, so this is completely off the cuff oh. here. <laughs> so we're, we're going without a net here for a second. But um, I had a theory that, that, you know, a lot of if you kind of follow a lot of the the really really strong willed and strong opinioned people on Twitter about you know if it's not written this way it's not a cloud and if it's not written this way it's not a cloud etc cetera, etc cetera. and and they're they're really kind of knocking a lot of enterprises and a lot of enterprise applications um, that those enterprise applications almost need to be completely rewritten from the ground up in a quote unquote cloud-friendly way um and and what i'm wondering is is that 
true in your experience? Because, you know, in, in my experience in talking to customers, I tend to more deal with the, the, low, the, the infrastructure layers, but they're not necessarily interested in rewriting all of those applications right now. It's, it's really honestly more about, I want to make the infrastructure more agile today, and I'm going to get to those applications. It's almost like they have a much longer life cycle than, say, the infrastructure does. Um, and so are you seeing that uh, and, or, you know, again, maybe going back to that, back to that low hanging fruit question, um, are, are they just maybe porting over the, the older applications and maybe modifying them a little bit or, you know, tell me a little bit about that. Right. So, well, obviously there's a large number of enterprise app or legacy enterprise applications out there. And it only makes sense that those would also be supported, whether or not they would be considered cloud applications or not that's a matter of debate but the truth is after you deploy it on the cloud it effectively is a cloud application um, but in order to take advantage of the cloud really there's a lot of uh, I guess best practices you might want to follow to make it truly scale and, and there's you know standard practices like statelessness and uh, a few other things that that help that out um, so um, you know, I wouldn't say an application isn't a cloud application just because it doesn't follow a lot of these practices. If it can be deployed in a cloud environment, then it would be um, considered as such, although it can't maybe take advantage of the high degree of scalability, et cetera. Sure, sure. And, you know, Aaron, this is an interesting question because I think uh, you hear that knock, but enterprises are enterprises, and our job is to help enterprises walk before they run. And as I was thinking on your question, I was thinking, well, let's look at when uh, Lotus or Excel came out as a spreadsheet. Um, if you look at this as a, as a solution for people to work with numbers, uh, it does the basic addition, the basic things, and that's not exciting. But you start using it to do basic math functions, and then all of a sudden you start seeing the power of it, and then you start using Excel or, in the old days, Lotus in a way that you've never done before. And there's all the different things, the pivot tables, VLOOKUP, IF statements, and things like that that you never could do before with a simple calculator. So the point I'm trying to make with this metaphor is that you need to make it easy for um enterprises to first work with their existing applications that they're used to, move them to the cloud. Now that you've given them a platform, they're comfortable with it, and then they can start building cloud-enabled applications to really get the benefits of the cloud based on an application deployment platform such as a PaaS. Uh, and so to me, what we're doing is we're helping enterprises walk before they run. That's perfect. I like that. And Absolutely. I, Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Um, actually, I'll let you continue. I'll, I'll continue that thought later. Okay, that's fine. So I was actually going to go in a slightly different direction here and, and just ask a little bit about your involvement with, with Cloud Foundry. So, so um, Active State has been involved from a very early on with, with the Cloud Foundry project. Um, but at the same time, uh, St Staccato is different from, say, just base Cloud Foundry. Yeah, and actually, I'll put a link in the show notes about it. But uh, you know, off of your website, you kind of have the comparison breakdown of you know here's Cloud Foundry, here's St Staccato. Tell us a little bit about 
how you actually do you, do you like pull from them and then do some modifications and you know how does your actual development cycles and and how do you choose you know what is say cloud foundry plus <laughs> if i right. use that term right okay well yeah so we've been working with cloud foundry ever since its first release back in um 2011 and we also con- we've been contributing back to the project itself um based on a lot of the things we have been working on over the years um but we did find that um at, at a point, it made a lot made more sense for us to actually fork their distribution and enhance it fairly significantly in a large number of ways. And what I, I'll do now is just list some of those ways, and then if you'd like, we could dive into some of them. But um, we're, we're, we uh, use the uh, LXC containers, the secure Linux containers, to ensure that the application instances are isolated and cannot affect each other. Uh, we provide a, a, a powerful management console, a web-based console that can be used to manage the PaaS itself, all aspects of it. Um, we uh, have a user and group facility allowing you to create multiple users as part of groups that have their own limits, resource limits defined uh, to make sure that the resources, you know, the quotas won't be exceeded. Um, a couple of things I want to just draw your attention to is also is um, uh, log streaming. So the ability to take an application that might be running multiple instances on multiple, you know, on your paths, like dozens, hundreds of instances, and aggregate those logs and then send them either to a logging aggregation service like Logly or Splunk, perhaps, or just capturing them yourselves. Um, it's built into Staccato, and it's incredibly easy to, to manage the logs. Um, and one more point um, is uh, we also have support for multiple, for any basically network protocols over any ports. We're not restricted to HTTP over the, you know, let's say 80 and 443. Um, we, we have a facility allowing uh, an application to communicate with the outside world over any port using any protocol, and Staccato takes care of, of balancing, load balancing the traffic. Uh, there's a number of other other differentiators as well, but that's a, a start. Sure, sure. And, 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 go ahead, Bart. Go ahead. Yeah, so Aaron, what I wanted to say is that John was really talking about the details, and I wanted to share the philosophy at Active State when it comes to open source. Um, Every product that we have is built on top of open source. So whether it's our language distributions of Perl, Tickle, and Python, we have a, a commercial proprietary version of those. Our IDE Komodo is based on the Mozilla open source platform. And similarly, our Staccato is based on the Cloud Foundry platform. And what we do, though, is we, we build these products with our target markets in mind and, and our activities are really influenced by our customers. Our customers drive us each and every day and say, can you do this? Can you do that? If you look at Staccato's evolution, I would say 95% of the feature set has been driven by our customers saying, we need this, we need it right away. And that's how we approach open source because we, at the end of the day, we make open source work for the enterprise in, a, in a, what we call a shrimp-wrapped, out-of-box experience. We make it really easy for enterprises to work with open source. Perfect. I'd like to add one more thing to that, too, that I didn't mention earlier, is that Staccato is fully backward compatible with Cloud Foundry. So if an app works on Cloud Foundry, it'll work on Staccato. It also means that any plugins and third-party tools that work with Cloud Foundry, like the Eclipse uh, Spring Tool Suite plugin, etc., will work fine with Staccato as well. So it's fully compatible. Very cool. And And... I just wanted to elaborate real quickly on, because for me, because um, I've really been digging into some of the underlying technologies of, of the various uh, platform as a service vendors, but yeah. one kind of common uh, thing I, I'm seeing that's actually kind of new for me as an kind of an 
infrastructure person that I wanted to bring up uh, because a lot of our um, listeners, you know, we probably don't, we have more infrastructure and operations people than we probably do um, developers, um, is the concept of containers for isolation as opposed to isolating, say, at the virtual machine or the operating system level. Um, and to me, that that was very fascinating and very almost like a new way for me to think about things because I kind of grew up in the virtualization world, and and you know it's one of those like the typical oh it's a it's a VM that VM has an OS that OS has some apps it might have a database but you know everything is its own instance as opposed to this this concept of containers. Can you talk a little bit more about that briefly? Sure. So the containers bring a lot of power to this whole PaaS environment or infrastructure. So um, one thing that they allow is you can specify um, the resources allocated to any individual container instance, I guess. And what that means is you can pack, you can maximize the number of applications that will run on a VM very simply. Um, So typically you'd have a VM or multiple VMs, but they'd have dozens of application instances running in the containers. Um, they're all completely isolated, but you can maximize the number of container instances you have on a VM. So you're packing as much as you can on the VM. Um, they also have a lot of uh, the ability to isolate the applications based on namespaces. So there, an application would have its own in, own um, notion of what other um, applications or processes are running in that container. It would have its own notion of the network, really, and things like the DNS or the host name, at least that the container, the app is running in. And um, it's completely separate. Each application instance has no impact or ability to impact another application instance. So you can do some of this with just standard VMs, but it's a much more efficient and rapid way to go about building up a, a large application made up of multiple components. And and John, I don't I don't I don't know your age, and I'm not going to ask it now. But you know, Bart said earlier he was 25 years in IT, so hopefully he he'll be able to relate to this one. But you know, as an old IBM person, um, it reminds me very much of going back to the mainframe and and AS 400 days of LPARs or logical partitions. Um, <laughs> yeah. So so that's you know I completely just aged myself with this podcast right there. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny how this industry evolves. It seems to keep going back and forth between you know various various technologies. Things like thin client has been around back since the thirty two seventy days. You know exactly, it's exactly. Coming back, and going away, and coming back. It's bizarre. Yep, absolutely. So so you know, in another five years, you know, client server will be cool again. Um. <laughs> <laughs> in a so, so let me. I'll go back to the um, uh, cloud foundry uh, for a second. Um, I just wanted to get your impressions on, you know, Pivotal right recently announced or re-announced or, you know, however you want to really look at that. And and so what does that potentially, in your opinion, do to the Cloud Foundry ecosystem and how does it maybe evolve over time? Um, well, you know, the jury's still out, but we're optimistic that we actually think it's going to help make a better Cloud Foundry ecosystem. And why I say that is if you look at where Cloud Foundry started, it started within VMware, which is not traditionally known as an open source organization. And so with the initial versions of Cloud Foundry and working with the community, it was not a community that we as ActiveState are used to dealing with. It was a little bit more structured, so to speak. Uh, But now with the Pivotal Initiative, we are cautiously optimistic that actually we're going to see a much more open and engaging 
uh, collaborative community uh, as they get their feet um, rolling here because they're you know they effect, effectively pivotal Inc was uh, established in April one I think it was and so that we're very actively involved with uh, the guys at uh, the Cloud Foundry Pivotal right now on a regular weekly basis. But we're encouraged that we think going forward, we're going to see a much more robust and vibrant open source community. Awesome. So one, one thing I'll add to that, too, is that um, I was, in a way, it's a very positive thing seeing a you know, large, basically, investment in paths like that just illustrates the power of it. That they're willing to invest, you know, what is it, a billion dollars and, and a large team to just work on has and, and the entire ecosystem. So it just validates the approach we're, we're taking, especially given that, you know, we're cloud foundry based as well. Sure, sure. And, and so um, kind of change topics here slightly and, and go back to enterprise for a second. One of the biggest challenge, uh, challenges I've always seen, and you certainly hear it over and over again, of just, you know, anything as a service um, is you almost get your, get to a point where the technology is the easy part um, the you know, the people, the process, a, a lot of, you know, politics, whatever you want to call it within an enterprise has, seems to be a sticking point at times, certainly more so than the technology. Um, do you see that as well in the platform as a service space? And, and does DevOps relate to that in any way? Oh, man, it's so well said. Um, you're right. The technology is almost the easy part. <laughs> um, we, uh, you know, you. I know you've hinted on this. And um, uh, actually, what I'm about to say, I know, Aaron, you've hinted on in other broadcasts is that the PaaS space, specifically private PaaS, is still an early market, early days. And what we've seen is that where things really start to take off in an organization, if IT DevOps is leading a private PaaS initiative, that seems to work much better and they work with their developers and say, hey, check this out. Um, and then it goes much smoother. The converse is if a development team finds something like private paths and want to bring it into the organization in a grand scale way and IT DevOps doesn't see it as a priority, we've seen a lot of deals killed because IT DevOps says, no, nah, we're not interested right now. Um, so the people aspects, the political aspects of, as you say, anything as a service is, to me, the, the biggest barrier to making private paths successful in the enterprise. I think you've, you've hit on a really interesting point. Yeah, maybe I'll add to that as well, just a little bit. But for the last several months, I've been very focused on the developer mindset and, and just looking at how Staccato and Paz can enhance the developer's life. And and what I've come to realize, especially with input from the rest of Active State, is that um, convincing a developer is not enough of the uh, enough, as Bart just said, to to move it forward. Um, it is the DevOps people and the people that make those decisions that that have to be convinced as well. Sure. And the other thing, Aaron, is that. Once what is you, you you hear the the stereotype of IT DevOps butting head with developers and you hear this over and over again the tensions. Actually what we have seen, private paths is a collaboration mechanism between the the different parts of the organization. So if it's led by IT DevOps and they involve the developers, both groups go, Wow, 
this is a great way to collaborate because the developers are now given the freedom to do things they weren't allowed to do before because IT said they couldn't do it. And IT DevOps is being able to say to developers, here, you can self-service yourself with private paths. That frees me up to work on other things. And this whole aspect of manufacturing, again, in the IT organization, uh, IT DevOps is no longer becoming a constraint because they're able to remove bottlenecks where they're getting in the way of getting things done for the organization. So my point is, is that from a relationship aspect, platform as a service um, is actually a wonderful collaboration mechanism between these different groups in the enterprise. And, and do you actually, um, so going back to, uh, I worked for a reseller years ago and going back to my reseller days where I would actually do um, the pre-sales as well as the post-sales, so the actual installations. And, and what I actually found a lot of times was installing the product wasn't enough because you actually, like you were saying, you had to educate the people, educate the process. And actually, I would spend as much time, if not sometimes two and three times more time in the organization just trying to make sure the tool that you installed was successful. Um, in, in addition to, you know, you can't just kind of walk in, install the shiny tool, and then walk out the door. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there's there's a lot of work that needs to be involved, and it's mainly in education and, and you know, getting the light bulb to go off in these people um, to see exactly the power of it. And that's the... That's a big challenge, but it's definitely an achievable challenge. And, and, you, and you're, you're, you're right, Aaron. And so what typically happens, and each enterprise is, is slightly different uh, from the installations we've done to date, but you sell them a platform being Staccato or Private Pass flat platform. You sell them so many VMs. And then in addition, uh, often we're selling training. We are going in there and training organizations. We may be doing migration services for specific um, groups. We're helping them migrate their applications to the cloud. Other groups, they want specific things customized that are unique to their workflow, and they want us to work with them. Um, there is specific things we're doing on applications or databases. So it's not just about the platform. You're right. It's platform plus services. So... Based on all, the, all of that, what I was wondering is, is there kind of a, an enterprise when you're looking at them that, you know, this is going to be a successful enterprise or this enterprise is going to have, say, some challenges, right? What is a, a you know, stereotypical successful enterprise look like from your, your eyes? Um, well, right now, a successful enterprise to us is one that – they have their cloud infrastructure in place. So they figured out their virtualization. They figured out their infrastructure as a service. And they're now wanting to push the envelope and say, let's get more out of our cloud investment. Uh, and they understand platform as a service. So these are the ones that we know when they come to us and they have their specific PaaS questions in place, you know they're ready to go and they're serious about this. As opposed to, there are a number of enterprises out there that are just trying to understand the cloud and what it can mean to them and what is PaaS, and that's much more of an education. And so we spend time with them, but to get to the heart of your question, we know those ones, this is not a priority. They're still educating uh, uh, themselves, whereas the, the first example I gave, you get a real feeling they're ready to go. And the other thing is that you either hear from 
a development team that also has the endorsement of IT DevOps, as I was referring to earlier, Aaron, or you have an IT DevOps person that really wants to champion this and make it happen. And I guess the other aspect of success is if you see both buy-in at the bottom up as well as the top down. You see that, and we see this typically in a number of organizations where that's alignment, then things move extremely quickly. Now, John, I don't know if you want to expand on it because I know you have some firsthand experience as well, so you might want to provide some additional insight. Yeah, I'd like to uh, to address that first comment you said about education, about understanding of PaaS, and it's just bizarre. Um, in very short time period, the last six or eight months, I've been paying close attention to the understanding of the attendees and eight months ago I'd go to cloud-centric events and and discover that many or most of the attendees did not know what PaaS was and had, many hadn't even heard of it and that is changing rapidly um, almost every month I can you know see the increase it's a it's a big trend so so it's it's a difficult problem to educate these enterprises that have never heard of PaaS but they're you know becoming less common I guess you could say sure understand okay well, well, guys, um, we're kind of hitting up against that mark where um, we're getting longer than, you know, your typical car commute, and you never know, my internet probably might bounce back down at any second. So um, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. So we're, we're out of time for this week, guys. Um, so, Bart and John, where can everyone find out more about Active State, um, the products, and, you know, where you guys are going to be this summer and, and kind of follow everything you guys have going? Yeah, so you can find us at www.activestate.com and you can follow the links to Staccato right from our homepage. We are going to be at a number of events in June, extremely busy. And John, between John and I, I think we can fill in the blanks. We're going to be at Cloud Expo in New York City. We're going to be at Velocity. We're going to be at um, HP Discover, Glucon, uh, QCon in New York. Um, we've got what a DevOps days in, in the Valley. John, you're going to that, I think? Yes. Um, what have I missed? There's a, there's oh. a couple of, but you're getting the idea, Aaron. We're sure, going to be in a absolutely. lot of places. Yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> sounds great. Well, there's good. A, there's so, also a crazy number of cloud events just in the Bay Area here. They're just almost every night. I'm actually at one right now. I'm going to be hitting right back in. <laughs> they're, they're everywhere. And, we, uh, we appreciate your dedication then. <laughs> um, so, so guys, um, like I said, we're out of time for this week and, and uh, I apologize. Brian was not able to uh, make the call tonight. He's actually on an airplane flying home from a customer tonight. Um, but, but certainly, if you like the show, please tell a friend or leave us a review on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at thecloudcastnet or on the web at thecloudcast.net where you can find links to everything Cloudcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.